Welcome to the Radiant Life Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we pray will inspire your heart and challenge your faith. For more information on RLC, please visit myrlc.family or check us out on social media. Have a blessed day. Now here's your message. Today, if it's uh, your first time here, or maybe your first time here in a little while, it's a great day for you to be jumping in because we are kicking off a brand new series of messages this morning called Noise. Noise. And what we're talking about is how do we hear God in a chaotic culture? I don't know if you'd agree with this or not. How many of you guys would think, man, life is loud? Like there's just... It's loud. There's so much noise. You've got noise everywhere you go. There's always a message trying to be pushed to you. Somebody's always trying to tell you something. This time of year, there's always something more you should buy. Every time I get on social media, I get this same ad that's like, if your husband loves you, he'll buy you this sweater. And I'm like, I love my wife, but I ain't got that kind of bank account, right? Like, it's just the noise you constantly hear. But it's not just external noise that can make it really difficult to hear God. How many of you guys know sometimes it's the internal noise? Sometimes it's the noise, your own personal culture, the things in your heart, your mind, your life that can make it really difficult to hear God. And so in this series, we just really want to answer that question. How do we hear God in the midst of a chaotic culture? Now, this time of year, as loud as it can be with marketing and everything else, this time of year for me is really a reflective time of year uh, for two reasons. Number one, uh, the most important birthday in the month of December happens December 31st. That's my birthday. Because uh, let's be real. We celebrate Christmas, but like we're not sure Jesus was born on December 25th. We are positive I was born on December 31st, okay? So we can celebrate that with full confidence and have fun with it. But also, uh, next month, January 3rd, I'll celebrate 20 years since I gave my heart to Jesus. 20 years of following him. Thank you, guys. That's great. Thank you. I mean, you could have clapped for my birthday, too. But whatever. No big deal. Being stingy with the claps. You're allowed to clap for all things at all times, okay? Uh, But I, I start to really think a lot this time of year about, like, what's happened in the past And then I start to think about the future. I start to think about, hey, what do I want to be true in my life a year from now, two years from now, sometimes five years from now? And I'm always just trying to think, man, what what needs to be different? And for me, that's always a challenge. But one of the things I'm thankful for is when I was introduced into the faith at 18 years old, um, I was immediately thrust into this church that much like ours was very healthy. And it had a great culture that stood in tension between two different things. Uh, The church I was in and the church we're a part of now had a culture that was highly invitational. If you're not sure what that means, that just means when you come in here, you're welcomed, you're valued. There are people here who love you, want to be with you, and many times believe in you, maybe more than you believe in yourself. That's a highly invitational culture. Now, a highly invitational culture is awesome, but how many of you guys know if it's just invitational, that's not enough? The church I became a Christian in and the church you're in now, it's also a culture that's high on challenge. So yes, you are valued, you are loved, we're glad you're here. But we also believe that, man, this thing is bigger than just you. This thing we're a part of is bigger than just the team you serve on. It's bigger than the row you sit in. It's bigger than the the room that you're in right now or where you're watching online. Like this thing is bigger than just me. Uh, We believe we're supposed to be challenging because here's the thing. We really do believe every single one of us, we need to take the time to allow God to disciple us, allow others to speak into our lives because there's coming a time where we're gonna need to step up. 
We don't know when God's gonna open the door, but we know he's going to open it, and the only way to be ready is to get ready now. It's a highly challenging culture. The, ch- the, cult- the church culture I stepped into and the church culture I find myself in today is one that believes it's not enough to think that maybe I'll be a part of advancing God's kingdom mission here on the earth, but the expectation is that you will be. It's going to happen. You're going to have to step up to the challenge. It's highly invitational, yet also very high on challenge. I remember my first Sunday as a Christian, I got saved on a Saturday night in my parents' basement all by myself. I showed up to church the next day. Church is over. I'm sitting in the back of the sanctuary and I start talking to my pastor, Ron Martin, and I start telling him, pastor, here's what happened last night. He knew me because like my parents have been going to church. They've been forcing me to go to church, but I hated church before that. Like I just hated it. I would try to skip. I'd do everything I could. Didn't want to be a part of it. We're sitting in the back and he goes, Anthony, that's awesome. Now, what you would expect, right? Like if you have ever given Pastor Lance like good news before, you ever notice how he reacts? He's like, come on, let's go. Like he gets really excited. But Pastor Ron Martin looked at me and said, Anthony, that's awesome. Buckle up. It's about to get difficult. He was introducing me day one to the fact that yes, the church is highly invitational. Yes, Jesus is high on invitation, but Jesus and the church both are also meant to be really high on challenge. In fact, notice some of the things that Jesus says, like in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Man, how good does that invitation sound? Right, like when I'm just worn out, beat up, tired, Jesus wants to give me rest, that's awesome. But notice what he says in Luke chapter nine, while speaking to someone who I would say is probably tired, needs some rest, he just lost a loved one. Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So Jesus is high on invitation, like man, come and get rest. But he also looks at somebody else and says, now's not the time for that rest. Now's the time for you to go and do what I'm telling you to do, leave the dead to bury their own dead. There's other times where Jesus is invitational and he looks at this room of children, this group of children, and he just loved kids. And he'd say, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. You might be annoyed with your kids, but Jesus isn't. He's like, man, I love having your kids around. I love when they make noise. I love when they're disruptive. He sounds really sweet, really invitational. But then he says the challenging thing. In Mark chapter nine, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. He just lays it out there, right? Like, hey, highly invitational, but also highly challenging. And sometimes you get one, sometimes you get the other. Here's what I love today and where we're gonna camp out this morning. If you got a Bible, we're gonna be in Luke chapter eight. But in Luke chapter eight, Jesus tells a story. And at the end of the story, he finishes it with a statement that is full of invitation and full of challenge all at one time. He says in Luke 8, 8, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Other translations will say, he who has ears to hear, let him listen and understand. Because how many of you guys know there's a difference between hearing something and really hearing something, right? There's a difference between I'm in the room while you're talking and I'm paying attention while you're talking. All the wives in the room said amen, right? There's a huge difference between I'm here and I'm here and I'm hearing you. Big difference. So at first glance, this statement might not sound 
really all that invitational or all that challenging. But let's understand really what Jesus is saying here. Here's the invitation of Jesus in this one verse. The invitation is that Jesus wants you to hear him. He wants you to hear him. He doesn't just kind of like sort of hope you hear him. He doesn't think the expectation should be that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you just pray this prayer out into the open abyss and just hope and pray to God that one day the sound reverberates to heaven. No, he actually wants you to hear him. He has a desire that you're gonna hear him. This is what Jesus wants. He wants you to hear him in the everyday stuff of life. Like a lot of times growing up in church, I'd hear about you talking to Jesus and Jesus talking to you, and it always had to be your prayer closet. If you're not familiar with what a prayer closet is, you didn't grow up in a church like I grew up in, right? But here's what a prayer closet was, is where you had to get on your knees, get alone. It could be by the side of your bed. A lot of people had an actual literal closet and they would just go in there for hours and pray. Now I'm not devaluing that, but can I tell you, if that's the only time you expect to hear from God, you're missing out on a lot of time with God because Jesus wants to talk to you in the middle of the room when your kids are playing all around you. Jesus wants you to hear him when you're driving to the office and when you're sitting there getting your work done or scrolling Facebook, right? Jesus wants you to hear him when you're in the classroom. He wants you to hear him when you're trying to make a decision and you're not sure which way to go. He wants you to hear him. Jesus wants you to hear him when the conflict in your home is at its highest because he has something to say about it. He wants you to hear him. He wants you to hear him through his word. He wants you to hear him through preaching and teaching. He wants you to hear him through community. He wants you to hear him all the time. That is an incredible invitation for us to understand. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you so much and he wants you to hear him. That's the invitation implied in Luke 8.8. 8. Here's the challenge, though, that we have to understand in this idea of he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I don't always hear him. I've had seasons of life where I'm not sure what it is that God wants from me or wants me to do. I've had times where I can sit in the prayer closet and it's silent. I've had times where I can be in the car with the worship music up and I'm taking my hand off the wheel probably more than I should to raise my hands in worship because it's dangerous, but I'm doing all that because I want to hear him and I, I don't hear him. See, the the challenge in this statement is this, is that Jesus doesn't have a speaking problem, but we do have a hearing problem. Jesus doesn't have a speaking problem. In other words, he's always talking. He's like your toddler that just figured it out. He just keeps going. He won't stop. You might want him to stop and he's not gonna stop. It might not even seem appropriate that he's talking to you then or showing up at that moment or revealing something about himself, but it just keeps going because Jesus doesn't have a speaking problem. But we do, many times, often have a hearing problem. If you ever feel like there is a breakdown in communication between you and God, I can guarantee you it is never God's fault. But it's always on our end. We have to figure out what's my problem with hearing and how do I, how do I partner with the Holy Spirit to see that change? So in Luke chapter eight, before we get to verse eight, where Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He tells this story because Jesus was always telling stories. He's speaking to an agricultural culture, very different than many of ours. But here's the story that he tells because he's trying to make a point that every single one of us, when God speaks, we receive God's word very differently. We receive the revelation of God, insight from God very differently. Sometimes well, Many times, not well at all. Here's the story he tells in Luke chapter eight, starting in verse five. He says, a sower went out to sow his seed. 
And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him what? Hear. That's just me making sure you're paying attention, right? You're listening and understanding. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Here. This is the invitation and the challenge of Jesus to say, I've just said something profound to you. Now, what are you going to do with it? Now, a lot of times Jesus will tell a story in the scripture and that it never gets explained. It's up to us to kind of study it, look at the culture, look at the context, figure some things out. This though is one of the handfuls of times that Jesus doesn't just tell us the story initially, but then we get to peek behind the curtain because you'll have the disciples ask this question. Hey, that story you just told what was that? Like, what do, you, what do you mean? We don't we don't fully understand, and that's a great place to be, right? We don't understand, so let's ask Jesus what it means. So Jesus is going to explain this, and here's what I'll tell you: we're going to go through this explanation and understand that what Jesus is saying is our heart is typically found in one of four seasons. Our heart is typically found in one of four different types of soil or different types of responses, the way that we respond to the word of God. But before we break down those four, we need to pause for a moment. Because what I need you to hear is a lot of times when people get up here and we share things like this, this comes off like a good presentation, but it doesn't always normally connect where we are because we think this is just things that the guy or girl up here is saying and now I have to listen to it. But here's what's really happening. I'm saying it. As I'm saying it, it's because it's what the Holy Spirit has told me to say weeks ago. Now I'm bringing it to you because the Holy Spirit has something he wants to say to you right in the chair you're at. So we have to answer a question throughout the rest of our time together this morning. And the question we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit is this, where is my heart? Holy Spirit, where is my heart? Now, if you don't want honesty, don't ask that question. But if you're like, man, I, I'm hoping that in this time this morning, this little bit of time we have left, that God's gonna speak to me, God's gonna show me something about me, then we're gonna ask this question. So I think it'd be appropriate if right now, just where we are, hey, let's take a posture of listening and let's actually pray and ask this question before we explain the story that Jesus just shared. So Holy Spirit, right here, right now, we are fully present with you. We're limiting distractions. We're trying to keep our focus off of other things because in this moment, as we hear a sermon about wanting to hear from you, it is not good enough to treat it as if it's just ordinary. But even in this moment, we are approaching you with faith to say, we believe you have something to say, so we're going to do our best to listen. So now, Holy Spirit, as we get ready to go through the rest of our time together this morning, would you just help us to honestly answer and assess this question? Holy Spirit, where is my heart? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So four heart conditions that Jesus is going to break down in Luke chapter 8. The first heart condition he's going to talk about is this, and where we might find ourselves this morning is with the polluted heart. The polluted heart. Heart. 
In other words, there, is time, there are times when God wants to say something to us, but the word he wants to deposit inside of us cannot be received because there's too much other junk in our hearts. There's too many other things that are occupying space. There are lies we are operating in and believing that are filling the space where God would want to speak to us because our heart, if we could just say it simply, is polluted. These are the ones Jesus talks about as he's explaining the story in Luke chapter eight, verse 12. He says, the ones along the path, those people are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. He's saying there are some people, when I say things to them, when I speak to them, immediately spiritual warfare kicks in and right away the devil snatches it away from them. Here's what I need you to understand is that there is a very real enemy of your soul that every time God wants to deposit something into your life, he is trying to snatch it away as quickly as possible. This is why you might hear something, think it's a good idea, but do nothing with it. Because the enemy of your soul is doing the best he can to swoop in, take that thing out. He wants you to have no time for it, no context for it, nothing to do with it. One of the primary ways, though, that he snatches away things from our hearts is he allows our hearts to become polluted. And he does it in one of two ways. The first thing Satan likes to do is he likes to take the sin in your lives, which we all have, the things that we do that do not measure up to God's standard, he likes to take those sinful things and turn them into condemning things. He likes to take these things that you've done wrong and he likes to attach them to your identity because what he knows is this, is that if I can create distance between you and God, I'm gonna be able to snatch it away. He wants to create a culture in your life where every time you do something wrong, you don't feel like this God of grace is ready to embrace you and bring you closer, but he wants you to believe that this God is disappointed with you and wants to push you away. Here's how I know that. If you've ever had like a pattern of habitual sin, what will happen is you'll know that what you're doing or what you just did was wrong and something inside of you, I would argue the Holy Spirit is saying, you should probably spend time with Jesus right now. You should pray, read your Bible, worship, spend time with Jesus. But this other part of you will say, he doesn't want to hear from you right now. Did you see what you just did? You think he wants you to talk to him after that? You'll have this lie in your head that says like, well, I'll talk to him. But like, maybe like once I wake up tomorrow morning, it's a fresh start. We're back in a clean slate. Everything's good. As if you just like angered your spouse and they don't want to talk to you. These are the lies the enemy puts inside of you to try to create distance because it's really hard to live with the truth of God in your heart and mind when you're living based off of lies from the enemy. He's gonna use your sin in your life to pollute your heart. But the other thing he does to pollute your heart, and this one's a little more tricky, is he's gonna use people. I have never met somebody who was getting closer to Jesus really pursuing him, really following him, and they didn't have a detractor off to the side telling them how, man, eh, maybe you're taking it too seriously. Right, so think about it like this. If you're somebody who didn't grow up in church, but you're somebody who like as an adult came to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you have like non-Christian friends, there's a trajectory that these conversations go, right? Like the first conversation is like, well, man, hey, we're glad you found something that brings you happiness, brings you peace and purpose, that's awesome. Then you start going to church more and more often and they're like, hey man, we're really happy for you. Like you're, you're spending a lot of time there. Like that's, seems like, you know, but hey, good for you. And then eventually it's like, they notice it's not going away. And maybe now you've started like serving or maybe you're doing something like a New York mission trip and they go like, hey, this is good and all, but like, 
do you think you need to like slow down a little bit? Like maybe this is just like a little too much. Like we don't see you as often. Like maybe we need to slow down to where eventually they're like, hey man, we're pretty sure you joined a cult. Like you listen to different music now. You're, ta- you're talking differently. Like what's going on? We, we think you're in a cult. See, what'll happen is the enemy's gonna use people in your life that you're used to being comfortable with and he's gonna use them to try to hold you back. Now hear me, what I'm not saying is they get rid of those friends. Absolutely not. I'm just saying you might have to take a good self-inventory to know what friends are influencing me and what friends am I having influence over? Because if they're negatively influencing me, if every time I'm hanging out with them, I find myself flirting with the idea of getting further from God, then maybe I need to reprioritize that relationship. Maybe I need to be careful about how much time I give to that or what I let them speak into. Because what the enemy wants to do is he wants to use those people. But it's not just people who mean well and don't know any better. Man, a lot of times he's going to use people, even in the church, who they do something to annoy you. And you're going to start to think, well, maybe this isn't the place for me. Can I just give you the spoiler alert that I feel like I shouldn't have to give you? I don't care what church you go to. People are going to be people, and you're going to find people that are going to annoy you. You're going to find people that are going to make you angry and upset. It's going to happen. Sometimes the maturity is just understanding that's just life, and anywhere I go with people, people are going to people. But the enemy wants to use those to once again create distance between you and God. And so what happens is when we realize that maybe our heart is polluted, maybe with relationships, maybe with sin, what we have to do is do what the Bible tells us to do, and that's to repent. That means we stop what we're doing, maybe let go of some things, drop some things, reprioritize some relationships, but we stop and we turn. See, here's the thing about trying to follow Jesus and trying to hear his voice is we can't begin a new life until we turn from the old one. It's really hard to live as like the new me when the new me has the old patterns. The new me has the old mindsets. The new me has the old relationships with the old emphasis and everything else. We can't begin a new life until we turn from the old one. I love how James puts it in James 1.21. He says, get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Now, can we just pause for a second? Who is James writing to? He's not writing to an unbelieving culture. He's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians to say, hey, Christian, you, you need to get rid of all the filth and evil in your life. I love that because you know what that does is that helps me feel seen that in the midst of all my stuff, like I don't have to be perfect. And the expectation, even from the early church on, is not that we would be perfect. The expectation is there are going to be some things in my heart, things in my life that have to be addressed. And there's going to be some times where I have to stop and turn. We have to understand we cannot begin a new life until we turn from the old one. And that means, hey, we might have to rethink some things. So that's the polluted heart, but there's other hearts that Jesus talks about. The second one he mentions is this, the distracted heart. The distracted heart. Now, I could sit here and talk to you for a long time about how it's never been easier to be distracted in our culture. How there's more things vying for your attention. You've got probably 10 push notifications on your phone since I started talking 10 or so, 15 minutes ago. Like everything in this world is engaged and designed to distract you. We've talked about that. I've talked about that plenty. You can look back on YouTube, check all that stuff out. So can we take a different angle on this? I think there's a distraction that is unique to the church and unique to Christianity. 
There was a lady years ago when I was a youth pastor in North Akron, this has been more than 10 years ago, we were in an impoverished neighborhood, dealt with a lot of people who were struggling with drug and alcohol addiction, and just constantly helping people walk through that, walk away from that, trying to get them every resource we could to help them out, praying with them, doing all those things. Well, we had this one lady that showed up to church, and like she had that dramatic kind of conversion, you know what I'm talking about? Where it's like she walked in addicted to drugs and walked out like totally set free, like didn't do drugs again. Like all of a sudden, like her countenance changed, like her skin tone like changed, like her face changed. Everything about her was different. It's weeks later, she's getting ready to get baptized. And I remember her talking to my senior pastor at the time. It's a Saturday night. And she said, well, pastor, like I'm just finishing this last pack of cigarettes because I know once I get baptized tomorrow, Jesus is gonna set me free from this. And like, I kid you not, she gets baptized. I'm sitting back there like trying to be the like rational person. Like, well, hey, if you do struggle, that's okay. Like, let's, you know, we'll be here for you, da, 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 da. She gets baptized, comes out of the water, boom. No cigarettes, like just done. I'm like, dear Lord Jesus, I'm gonna get baptized. And like, I just know he's gonna free me from this last 40 pounds, right? Like, boom, nothing happened. So we're, I mean, we do what anybody would do in this situation. Like we're celebrating this story. We're loving her, we're loving her family. She's got a, a young son that now she's reconciling with. And uh, you know, they're trying to get it back to where she, he can be in the home with her and everything's great. But then months later, like we don't see her. So months later, we make a phone call, no answer. Make another phone call, no answer. We go knock on the door, no answer. We do the creepy thing where like you peek your head into the window and you're like, for the love of God, don't let me see anything bad, right? But you're like peeking the window, nothing. Like there's furniture there, but like lights aren't on. We're not sure the electric's on. So this goes on for a few weeks. We're like, we're just trying to connect, trying to hunt her down and find her son, Dominic, and all these different things. Nothing. Well, it turns out she had relapsed and started using again. Was losing her son, losing everything she had. We're trying to connect with her, trying to talk to her, and we just can't. We cannot get a hold of her. Can't get her to talk to us. Like, we'd see her out on the street and try to talk to her. She'd just run away. I would love to tell you that, that kind of story is, is abnormal or rare. But can I tell you, like, having pastored now since I was like 20, 21 years old, that happens more often than I would like. And as I've reflected on it, because I used to get pretty frustrated about it, and I still do, but I would get discouraged. But what I've started to realize is there is a, a unique distraction that happens in the life of somebody who's a part of the church and a part of following Jesus and the distraction is this, the good things of God. That sometimes we can be so focused on and distracted by the great things that God does for us that we never actually develop roots in our relationship with him. That we can be so distracted about the way that he's answered the prayer that Jesus no longer becomes God. He ceases to be God and he starts to become like the genie in the lamp. Where it's like, we love God when we're rubbing the lamp and our wishes are coming true, but the second it's over, we're just not sure if this is even worth it anymore. Was this real? Were all those things in the past just coincidences? And so what happens is many times, people who God's just doing a lot for them, you would think this will be enough to make it stick, but there's a lot of times it's not because their heart's distracted even by the good things of God. And they don't develop roots. These are the people Jesus talks about here in verse 13, he says, the ones on the rock, those people on the rock are those who when they hear the word, receive it with joy. 
They're excited. They're pumped up. They're ready to go. Like they're here at Engage or Easter or Christmas. And they're like, this is life-changing. It's awesome. But they have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing, fall away. So they're good while the wishes are coming true. But when it feels like there's distance between them and the answer they hope to get, they can fall off because their hearts get distracted. Can I tell you, if maybe you're in the room or watching online and you think like, man, I might have a heart that is tempted to get distracted. Here's what I tell you. The antidote to distraction is focus. It's the intentionality. Once again, Jesus can change your heart, but a lot of times we have to be the ones that change our patterns. We have to begin to focus on Jesus to say, you know what? I'm gonna give you more of my time, more of my attention. What was isn't gonna be what is. Like we're gonna change some things because hearing God's voice requires our focus. Hearing God's voice requires our focus. So the question we have to answer in that is, do I give him the attention he deserves? Like, sure, could he break through and just say something to me? Absolutely. But I do believe with complete sincerity, we can live a life where we hear from Jesus often. I believe we, have a, we live a life where Jesus can influence us. He can give you a feeling in your gut. He can drop a scripture into your mind that you haven't read for a long time. He can do all sorts of things to speak to you. Like this can happen consistently, but it requires our focus. We have to make sure our hearts don't get distracted, which takes us to the third kind of heart condition, and that's the immature heart the immature heart. Now I have a daughter who is just a few days away from turning 11 months old. And man, the last 11 months have flown by. She's my first daughter. I have two sons that are older. And I will just tell you, there's something different about having a daughter, okay? Like something different. I told my wife, I'm like, I will continue to discipline the two boys. You're gonna have to deal with this one. It ain't gonna be me, okay? I'm just admitting it up front. I'm like, she's your problem. I'm her favorite person though. Like it's not even close. I'm absolutely her favorite person. So we're just gonna relate differently. Can I tell you, if you were to come to my house, here's what you'd see. You would see my daughter at almost 11 months old in one of those walkers where it's got the wheels and she can just like race all around our house. And we have hardwood floors. So this thing flies guys. Like we have to block the stairs or she's going "Ah," off the stairs. So she's flying by. You have to wear house shoes to make sure she doesn't rip off a toenail when she bumps into your feet, that kind of stuff. But if you were to see me talk to her, Here's what you would see. You're the cutest little girl in the world. Oh my gosh, you're adorable. Is that a booger? It's a boogie in your nose. Let me get that booger for you. Oh, it's so good, right? That's how I talk to my daughter. You know why? Because she's 11 months old. Now I know there's some of you in here, you've been on TikTok or Instagram, you're a parenting expert and you say, well, pastor, if you would speak to her at a collegiate level, you would call her to a greater level of understanding. And I'd say, she's not even wiping her own butt yet. Okay, let's get over it. She wipes her butt, then we'll figure out the language thing. But until then, I'm gonna keep talking like this. It's gonna be great. But I talk to her that way because that's honestly, like that's the level her maturity can handle it. And if I could just be honest, I think there's times where we wanna hear from God or maybe you feel like you hear from him, but you're like, there's not the depth of communication there or the depth of understanding there. The question I would ask myself is, am I mature enough to handle that? Am I mature enough to where God can say whatever he wants to me, however he wants to say it to me? Because there's a lot of times we can want him to speak in a mature voice, but if we have an immature heart, it's wasted on us. 
We have to get to a point of, of understanding where we go, it's time for me to mature. Notice what Jesus says about these people in verse 14 of Luke chapter eight. He says, and as, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. Their fruit does not mature. They, don't, they care too much about other things to allow their spiritual fruit to really mature. But notice a lot of translations, when it talks about things falling among the thorns, they're gonna also use the word weeds because weeds are always a sign of neglect. If you don't believe me, check out the flower bed around my fence. It's full of neglect many times, right? But what happens is an immature person will neglect the things of God and then wonder, why isn't anything taking root? They neglect, they let the thorns grow up. They never take the time to cut them down or address the problems. And they just think, well, God didn't fix it. Because once again, Jesus can change your heart, but he's, you gotta change your patterns. And so we wonder, why isn't this working out? Well, I, I would say maybe, just maybe, we're not at a point of maturity yet. So how do we get to maturity? Well, maturity comes when we stop making excuses and start making changes. Maturity comes when we stop making excuses and start making changes. For some of us, we are the product of our excuses. Like one of them. Can we just be honest for a second? I wish we could make the word busy a cuss word. I really do. I hate, like if you're somebody who uses the word busy as a badge of honor, I always just want to go, huh. I catch myself saying busy every once in a while. And I'm like, it ain't, it ain't that busy. Do I have a lot of things going on? A lot of things that require my attention and all that stuff? Yeah, I'm married. I have three kids and I help pastor a church. Plenty of stuff going on. But being busy, we often use it as an excuse to not do the things that God's asking us to do. Like, I'm just gonna give you this one. If you have ever said, I would love to serve at church, but I'm too busy, I would say, hmm, seems like you're sitting still right now. You might have some time on your hands, right? None of us are too busy to do the things of God. And yet every single one of us can be easily tempted to make excuses about why we don't do those things. I'm too busy to read my Bible. Well, man, your Spotify listens are through the roof. Oh, I can't, I, 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 I'm listening to that. You could listen to your Bible. Quit making the excuse, right? Oh, I'm too busy to be in a life group. Let's be honest. Third Sunday of the night of the month, you're wearing sweatpants in front of the TV, all right? Like, Maturity comes when we stop making excuses and start making changes. So for some of you, that's gonna mean like, hey, in January, we kick these back off. You need to be a part of a next steps class. You need to discover how God's wired you, who he's created you to be, how you can fulfill that role here in the church, what God wants to use you for outside the church. You need to go to a next steps class. For others of you, yeah, join the life group. We got two weeks until our next set of life groups. If you need a life group, you can come to mine. I don't host it, but I'm over at the Gray's house and we'll make sure there's room for you, Right? And Diana Gray makes like the best cornbread in the world, right? It's not even cornbread this month, but she's going to make it because I just said it from the stage. So just kidding, but seriously, make the cornbread. Join a life group, like get in community with other people. Like you want to hear God's voice. Guess what? God often speaks to me through other people. He's going to speak to you in community. If you're isolated, you're like, I don't know why I don't hear him. It's because man, you got some people with stinking wisdom that live 10 minutes away, but you don't go out. Get over there, get in a life group. For some of you, it is step up and serve. For some of you, it's gonna be, be a little more generous. Some of you, it's gonna be take that step out of your comfort zone, quit making excuses and push towards maturity. We don't wanna be the people with the immature heart. 
Which takes us to the fourth and final heart condition that Jesus talks about here in this story in Luke chapter eight. And that's the prepared heart. The prepared heart. Jesus says in verse 15, as for that and the good soil, they are those who hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart. They're gonna hold it securely, tightly. They're gonna lean into it and bear fruit with patience. Patience might as well be a cuss word, right? But he's saying you're gonna bear fruit with patience because your heart's gonna be prepared. Now, if I had a pocket full of seeds, which I don't, okay? But if I did and I started throwing it in this room, you know what would happen with that seed? It would probably get stuck in some of your hairs or sweaters, but it would definitely just lay on top of things. And that seed would produce nothing. It'd just get vacuumed up. Because where I'm sowing that seed, it's not an environment that's prepared for that. Now, I'm not a farmer. I mean, you heard me, I have weeds in my small flower beds, right? But what happens is you take those seed though to ground that's been prepared and you might accidentally grow a crop. You might just drop some casually out of your pocket and have something grow. Some of you are like my wife, you don't have a green thumb, you're like, "Uh uh-uh. But it, it would happen, why? Because the ground is prepared for it. Is your heart prepared to hear what God wants to say to you? Is your heart prepared that when there's a seed he wants to sow into your life, something he wants to speak into your life about you or about him or about your situation, is your heart prepared to hear it? See, God's voice is clearest in a prepared environment. That's why when you come to church in the morning, a lot of people come to church and they'll, they'll see people, you look around, because let's be honest, we all look around, right? You'll look around and you'll see somebody who it just seems like they're really connecting with God. And sure, that could just be emotion, that could just be their personality, but let's be honest, a lot of times people are really connecting with God. And you're looking at it and going, I don't have that. I would submit that sometimes it's because like we can come in here with our hearts prepared or we can come in here with our hearts hurried. So like even this morning, I told my wife last night, we're laying in bed, getting ready to go to sleep. And I was like, man, I just like right now, I feel like I just need to get up a little earlier tomorrow and just take some time. I said, we'll see what morning Anthony feels like when he hits snooze button. But tonight I feel like I should prepare. So this morning I got up, put on my RLC t-shirt, my Christmas sweatpants that are super comfy. I got from Walmart for $9.98, right? Balling on a budget. Sat down, made my mediocre coffee for my Keurig because I didn't feel like grinding the beans and all this stuff. But I, I just, I sat there. And just for like 15, 20 minutes before my wife got up and came downstairs, just sat on the couch. And I'm just asking the question, God, what do you want to say to me today? What do you want to speak through me today? What do you want to say to other people? Why? Because God's voice is clearest in a prepared environment. We could do lots of things with little care or attention to what God actually wants to say. Man, you want to really have God get involved in your life. Give him time. Give him space. Prepare the environment of your heart. 
See, guys, I believe what God wants is he wants you to have a heart that responds to his invitation. We're like, maybe today you need to hear, hey, you're loved, you're valued, you're accepted. We believe in you, maybe more than you even believe in yourself. But God also wants us to have a heart that responds to his challenge. Right, this heart that responds to the challenge to say that what you're invited into is absolutely bigger than you. That you have a role to play. That Jesus wants to raise you up because when it's time, he's gonna open that door. He's gonna need you to step up. He wants you to respond to his invitation and his challenge. All of that though, hearing him, responding to this challenge, it goes back to the question we asked earlier this morning, where is my heart? And what I love about that question is the Holy Spirit's gonna be faithful to answer that question for you. Even today while we're talking, the second I said distracted heart, some of you inside, you're going, oh, that's me. We say your heart's polluted. Let's be honest, I don't say that to condemn you and that's the way the enemy is gonna make you wanna feel but maybe that's maybe just where your heart is. And it's time to partner with the Holy Spirit, get rid of some filth in your life. Maybe your heart's immature and you just be honest and say, man, I got some growing up to do. And then let's not forget, this actually does turn out really well sometime. You might have a prepared heart and say, man, things with me and God, they're not perfect, but they're going really well. Like God's showing up He's showing off, he's correcting me, he's teaching things, like it's, it's awesome. I would say for you, the challenge is then, what do you gotta do to stay prepared, stay ready? Because Jesus doesn't have a speaking problem, but we do have a hearing problem. So with every head bowed, every eye shut, we wanna take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit the same question we asked a few minutes ago. Holy Spirit, where's my heart? I'm trusted, man, that he is making that clear to you right now. That the answer to that question is not something you need to second guess. For some of you, if you were gonna be honest, you'd say like, man, I'm, I could tell you where my heart is and it's far from God. God's heart for your heart is to be in close relationship with him. And that starts when we do what we talked about earlier. You notice, recognize where you are. You're gonna stop and you're gonna turn. The way we turn when you feel like your heart is really far from God is you say, God, I'm gonna give my life to you. Because what the Bible says is the Bible says that God, what he does is he takes your old heart of stone that's distant from him and he gives you a new heart that's responsive to him. That what's happening is he's literally changing your life from the inside out. And so if you're here this morning, you're online and you say, man, I, my heart is far from God, but I wanna stop, I wanna turn, I wanna have a relationship with him. I'm gonna ask you to do this. Would you just raise your hand for just a moment? That's awesome. Once you raise, you can put it right back down. That's great. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. 
pray for my friends here that have raised their hand or maybe even responded online to say that their heart's far from you, but they wanna be close to you. Number one, I pray that you would encourage them like crazy. Yes, they have to buckle up because it's about to get difficult. Man, it's about to be hard. They're about to engage in in spiritual warfare that they might not even have a framework for yet, but it's going to happen. And God, I just pray that you'd encourage them, give them strength, but also pray for our church that you would help us to rally around them. Help us to have a culture and an environment here that once again, when they're feeling the struggle, we're high on invitation. But we also believe in them enough to be high on the challenge. Jesus, I pray for every single person in here that Holy Spirit, as you help them to realize where their heart is, that you would give them the courage of conviction that they need to understand that where they are right now might need to change and that you're gonna partner with them, you're gonna help them. And Holy Spirit, you're gonna begin speaking to them. You're gonna begin influencing them, nudging them when they need to be nudged. We're trusting that you're gonna do the work as we partner with you, that you're gonna bring to completion the good work that you've started in them today. That you, like you say, Jesus, your word is not gonna return void. It's not gonna come back empty, but it's been set out to produce something and it's going to produce it this morning. So Jesus, help us to be open and responsive to you. We love you. We thank you. And it's in your name we pray, amen.